0: from WBZ Chicago with This American Life. So one of our producers, Zoe Chase, had this whole plan to follow this senator for a year as he ran for re-election. And it was an interesting story because the senator is a Republican who does not like the president, and he talks about that all the time. And the president seems to despise him. So, you know, would he be able to convince Republicans to vote for him? Republicans still overwhelmingly support the president. Zoe wanted to see him make the pitch. And then something happened that threw a wrench in her plans. Zoe? Yeah, he resigned. He stopped running for office. Yeah, so that kind of put the kibosh on that story. <laughs>
1: that wasn't a story anymore.
0: Yeah. Explain who this is.
1: Jeff Flake, senator from Arizona. He, uh, he resigned from the Senate on October 24th. And that day he gave this big resignation speech on the floor of the Senate, kind of slamming the president in this political moment. It got a lot of attention.
2: It is time for our complicity and our accommodation of the unacceptable to end. We must never regard as normal the regular and casual undermining of our democratic norms and ideals, the personal attacks, the flagrant disregard for truth and decency. And this
1: attitude, you might say, is the reason he had to resign. He'd been very outspoken about the president. He wrote a whole book calling the president basically unfit for office and a menace to our democracy. And that's why he couldn't win an election in Arizona. Like there were polls that showed he only had a 22% approval rating among Trump voters in Arizona. So how could he win a Republican primary? So the story's dead.
0: But then in December something happens that changes everything.
1: Yeah, this thing happens where a Democrat gets elected to Senate in Alabama, which is weird. Doug Jones becomes senator of Alabama against accused child molester Roy Moore. And that changes things because John McCain is out for medical leave. The Republican majority in the Senate is now down to one vote 49 Democrats, 50 Republicans. Any one Republican senator can theoretically stop a bill by voting with the other side. And suddenly, this one renegade senator, Jeff Flake, not beholden to the president, has a lot of power. Joey. Hi. Hi, senator.
2: Long time, no talk.
1: So how how does it feel to be the most powerful senator in Congress right now? <laughs> yeah.
2: Seriously. <Who's> that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people.
2: <laughs> You're running in strange circles then.
1: It does give you more leverage though, right? I mean, do you, are you feeling that?
2: Um, well, I don't feel that yet because it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. That, uh, when the new senator is seated, then perhaps...
1: This is as much as you'll get Jeff Flake to admit he's excited about something. He is an understated guy. I can tell he is pleased. Uh, Flake's essential for Republicans to get to 50 votes for all the things they need 60 votes for in the Senate. He has new leverage there as well.
0: And so Zoe asked Jeff Flake, could he watch him try to execute this newfound leverage? And he said, sure. And she's been following him since then. Because Flake is in this interesting position. Any Republican who's up for re-election this year, there are all kinds of things they cannot say or do because Donald Trump and his voters will punish them. They can't cross the president. They can't cozy up to Democrats. But because Flake isn't running, it's like he's bulletproof. It's like he has his superpower. He can do anything he wants, say anything he wants, take risks to get things done. And he decides to do something with that newfound power and leverage. And what he decides to do is pass what could be his very last bill. And the thing he goes for in this bill is DACA, legal status for kids who were brought to the United States by their parents and then grew up here in the United States. It's 800,000 people who've signed up officially as DACA kids. Super popular issue. 80% of the country supports giving the dreamers legal status. The president said he wanted it. The majority of the Senate wants it. If anything should be able to pass, it should be DACA. So Zoe followed him trying to pass DACA for four months. She talked to him when he would come off the Senate floor, when he was heading to the White House. She hung out with him in his office when he was stressed out late at night. And of course, you probably know, Flake, he does not succeed, right? DACA does not pass. The president tweeted, in fact, just last weekend, in all caps, no more DACA deal. DACA is dead. And so today on our show, what you're going to hear is you're going to hear Jeff Flake fail. And just to say it, of course, it is not a big surprise to anybody that Congress is dysfunctional and it's hard to get anything done in Congress. But watching somebody actually trying to do something, to pass a bill, you see how the nature of Congress's dysfunction has changed in ways that are very specific to Donald Trump. And, OK, yes, we take for granted right now how messed up Congress is. We don't even think twice about that. But for this hour, I would just ask you to open your mind and heart to the idea that there is another way this could have gone with DACA. And arguably, it should have gone if our democracy was working like we read about in high school. And when a vast majority in a democracy wants something, it happens. For Jeff Flake, after those four months were done, after playing the game the way everybody else does, which you'll hear him do at the beginning of the story, politicking and horse-trading votes, after all that, even he comes to see differently how Congress should operate. So that's our show today. It'll be in four acts, which correspond roughly to the four at-bats Senator Flake gets to push DACA forward. I'm Ira Glass. Stay with us. So if you remember... Back in September, President Trump ended President Obama's DACA program, leaving DREAMers in limbo with the threat of eventual deportation. And he gave Congress six months to pass a bill, six months to fix things for the DREAMers. The deadline was March 5th. The clock started ticking. That's how long Jeff Flake has to get this done. And let's just jump right in with Act 1, Act 1, The Bluff. And we're going to start at the first place that Jeff Flake can try to exercise his leverage and his newfound bulletproof superpower. And that is December. It's late December when Congress is all about trying to pass their tax cuts. You may remember this. They wanted to give the president a big victory before the end of the year. They wanted to prove that a Republican House and Senate and White House could work together to actually get things done. The date is December 19th. Zoe Chase takes it from here.
1: We zoom in on Flake's Senate office in the Russell building. Because the Republicans are so desperate for a win, and because Majority Leader Mitch McConnell needs every vote he can get, no Democrats will vote for the tax cuts, this is Flake's moment that he was counting on. It's an opportunity to use the leverage he has to move DACA ahead. He and Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, cook up a plan. He proposes a trade to Mitch McConnell. My vote for the tax bill in exchange for a promise to get a DACA bill on the floor by the end of January now they are just about to vote you're the last holdout on this tax bill
2: uh, am i <laughs> are you
1: are you undecided on how you're going to vote on
2: that you know i i mean i if you're negotiating for for something outside of the bill you you never indicate uh, where you'll be for certain never say what you're going to do <laughs> this is a bluff fleek
1: loves the tax bill he loves tax cuts he knows he's going to vote for the bill, even if he doesn't get what he wants. Eventually, he tells me that. But he doesn't tell anybody else. We hop onto the Senate subway, and another reporter tries to get it out of him.
3: Have you made up your mind on the Still tax
2: working bill? Still working on the docking issue.
1: The funny thing is, the tax bill can pass without him. They think they have the 50 votes they need already. If you're some kind of Congress nerd and you're counting, Doug Jones hasn't been seated yet, John McCain is out on medical. But who knows? They just got the 50. Bob Corker, Republican from Tennessee, he recently came around for no apparent reason. With things in flux like this, maybe someone could flip, and then Flake would have a lot more leverage. And Flake's been working on a DACA bill with other Republicans and Democrats—a bipartisan bill—and he wants that bill to get a vote.
2: Bring it to the floor. Agree to bring it to the floor. Use me as an excuse. We say we've got to get Flake, so we had to agree to DACA. That's done a lot. I mean, how do I, I
1: describe Jeff Flake? Flake? Suit and tie, clasped hands, earnestly looking at me on his office couch. I mean, he's a senator. He's deeply earnest, to the point where he's kind of dorky. He's a Mormon. He's super disciplined. He often goes to the gym twice a day. He has this way of being more hopeful than it seems like he should. When it comes to Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Senate, Flake often seems like Charlie Brown, running to kick the football to McConnell's Lucy. But right now, he feels like the power dynamic has changed. Jeff Flake is suited up. Feels like he has some moves. About immigration, when Fleek talks about it, he often talks about economics. We're an aging country. We need workers. He has a libertarian mindset about it. The economics are personal to him, though. He grew up on a cattle ranch in northern Arizona. His dad hired undocumented immigrants. And he got to know them. And he liked them. He writes about one of them in his book, this guy he grew up with, Manuel. Manuel. It's in that kind of tokenizing style that politicians can use when they write about real-life people caught up in national policy. But I've spent enough time with him to know that his feelings on immigration, they are sincere, they are deeply held, and they are different from a lot of his colleagues. So Manuel.
2: Manuel uh, came when I was just uh, just very young. He was young himself. He was 16. We thought he was old and wise <laughs> and... Uh, he uh, you know worked in the shop mostly but on the farm and uh, would would fix uh, just anything that broke and baling wire duct tape some of it wasn 't pretty. he was never much of a welder but bleak worked he, all uh, summer on the ranch
1: too. You know, the, he says he was always the miners, breaking the equipment, so he ended up hanging out a lot uh, with Manuel, talking about one, his girlfriend
2: <laughs> one conversation that we still laugh about. Uh, he was he's asking if I was dating anybody else. And I said, no, no, it's just, just Cheryl. And uh, he said, uh, you know, his, his English by this time was pretty good, but some of the phrases were a little off. Uh, he said, uh, Jeff, you, you know the saying, he said, uh, when the cat is gone, the mouse, he can run around. <laughs> <laughs> Blake was on Manuel's
1: side. When the Border Patrol would come and do these roundups, Flake would pull his hat down low over his head and ride his horse in the opposite direction of where the workers were, trying to lure the Cessnas away. He just saw Manuel at his dad's funeral last year. Manuel's got a green card now, seven kids, one's adopted. A merit-based system, he says, like the president has called for, it wouldn't account for all these guys I've known who made their lives here, made the country better. That's how he sees it. Flakes worked on immigration bills practically every year. 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. He was part of the gang of eight that tried to do comprehensive immigration reform in 2013. DACA is like the bare minimum of what he would do if he could. He'd love to make it much easier for more people to work and live here. But there's no place in his party for that idea anymore. DACA, though, DACA is different. Most people like DACA. As we rush Aaron Sorkin's style through the Dirksen building, he explains how he gets even more leverage if another Republican peels off. That's what he's waiting for. And the most likely person that could be right now, hours before the tax vote, is Senator Susan Collins.
2: She called me this morning. She has some issues.
1: Collins has her own deal, also unrelated to the tax bill, that she's trying to use her tax bill vote to get leverage on. She wants some stuff to patch up Obamacare. And she's been threatening to vote against the tax bill if that isn't addressed. Yesterday, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell went on the Senate floor and promised to address her issues. But Fleek says Collins' situation is still a little shaky.
2: She had a long meeting with the vice president uh, today. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's she's close, but uh, but still working on a few things. Oh, that's um, good for you, huh? But, um, but she's um, not going to necessarily... Pull what you're pulling. She's pulling for something else. Right. She's pulling for something else. But we both, uh, you know, it works out.
1: Mm -hmm. He ducks into a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. Meanwhile, calls are flooding into his office. You're a Republican. Support the president's tax bill. Have a spine. Vote against the president's tax bill. When I catch up with Fleek that night, he still hasn't heard from McConnell. To be clear, what Fleek is trying to get is modest. He's not trying to get an actual DACA deal done or a formal announcement. He just wants a sort of pinky swear from the majority leader. Majority leader will not make any public promises about DACA right now. Flake believes that's because he's scared it'll make Republicans in the House flip out and endanger the tax cut bill. Okay, fair enough, he can work with that. But notice just how hard it is to get this simple thing done. Flake heads off to talk to McConnell to try to get his firm commitment. And he leaves me behind in his office. Where I sit for two off the record hours with his chief of staff, Chandler Morse, one office over from Flakes. We talk a lot.
0: What did you think was going to happen?
1: Chandler is a character I wish I could tell you more about. I'm allowed to reveal the following things from those hours. Between calls and emails, he ate a seven day old, seven layer bean and salsa dip. Then he ate a popsicle. He texts and emails like his life depends on it. At 10 o'clock that night, Flakes shows back up. With news. (laughs) On that one. We hustle into his office, and he runs me through the story of the two hours that just happened. So, right, so you left here. You went to go talk to the majority leader.
2: Well, he was over in the Mansfield room. We were all eating dinner. And uh, I I sat down, and uh, he said, you okay on this? I said, no. No. Um, I said, I need to know if we have a commitment to bring this bill up in January. Um, because that was, you know, what we were talking about before. To bring up the DACA bill. He said, I can't. I can't commit. Um, I don't want to commit to something that I can't deliver on, and the spending bill is now kicked into January. And, uh, you know, I just can't. And so I said, well, you couldn't do it in December, and I understood that, Mm -hmm. but uh, January, even if there's a spending bill we have to do on the... 17th that still leaves quite a bit a month mm-hmm. nah can't do it just can't commit and so I just walked away <laughs> then later he came back over a bit and just said I hope you understand I, I just can't commit I never commit to bring bills up McConnell doesn't
1: like immigration. Flake thinks he thinks it's generally a losing issue for their party. Plus, McConnell has the votes without Fleek. And anyway, I'm guessing he sees through the bluff and knows Fleek is going to vote for the tax bill no matter what. Jeff Fleek isn't a sulker exactly, but it's hard to imagine what else he could have been doing over dinner while Chandler was upstairs chewing on a popsicle stick and texting him. He was out of moves. But then after McConnell left, the vice president called him, Mike Pence, and Fleek gets back a sliver of leverage.
2: For Pence, uh, they, they don't want any Republican voting against this bill. They just want it to look oh, pretty. No. I mean, I, obviously, you... The White House wants
1: Pence... every Republican on board for the tax vote. It'll look good that. that way, a united front. Pence and Flake that. go way back. They were famously tight when they were both in the House. That's one... They've been strained lately. This has caused Flake a little anguish. They don't agree on the president. There's always a pretty intense wistfulness mixed with defensiveness when Flake talks about Pence. And he talks about him a lot, actually, because that's his only big connection to the White House. Their long friendship was forged when they both stood up to President Bush over No Child Left Behind, and then again over his prescription drug plan. They both love tax cuts. They both hate spending. Anyway, he's a bit tortured that he and Pence are on different sides now.
2: And and Pence, you know, he and I are close. We talk about uh, tax cuts, and we've been working on this uh, for a long time. This is... uh, being best friends in the house, I think it's a personal yeah. kind of thing for him, and I understand that. You know, uh, and and he he uh, you know we always stuck together back then. We like to stick together when we can, and I think it, uh, he saw it as his personal mission kind of too. So he gave me all kinds of good reasons, frankly, to vote for the bill. I didn't need to hear them, but my you know he's a good friend. Yeah, but I made no commitment. After that call.
1: Remember, he is actually voting for the bill, but not letting on to his buddy Mike. This bill that, under different circumstances, they would be celebrating together. Also, there's a good chance Pence knows Flake's bluffing. So they're kind of play acting with each other. I mean, did it
2: feel bad? Yeah, well, I mean, um, yeah. Mike said, "You know, well, you know, we're going to we're going to get this done. The president's committed. I'm committed. Everybody, Paul's committed in the House. Paul
1: Ryan, Speaker of the House. Pence is saying they'll do it. DACA. Everybody wants to do DACA, but they're not going to publicly commit to doing it right now.
2: The Senate. They know they've got to get it done. It will get done. Your name's going to be all over it. Whatever else. I said, I if they'll get it done, I'll step back." <laughs> take my name off of all of it, and just vote for it. Just get it done. I'm not, you know, I just want to get this done. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he said, no, I know, I know, I just, but just know that we're going to get it done with no commitment.
1: As Fleek's counting all this to me up, late night in his, concern, his office, yeah, we're interrupted insane. by a phone call. Weren't there just points today where you were like, I should just say, yes. Oh, go ahead.
2: Hello.
1: It's Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is Flake's Republican partner in crime on the DACA bill. He's kind of the Ernie to Flake's Burt, wisecracking where Flake is earnest and shy. It turns out there was a final dramatic scene that happened just before Flake came back to talk to me that he was about to tell me before Lindsey Graham called. But now I get to hear him tell it to Graham on the phone.
2: Hey, uh, you know what happened?
1: So after dinner, in the Mansfield room, in the long call with Mike Pence.
2: Um, Mitch called me. He gave a commitment. Firm. Yeah. You got that
1: right. In a surprising twist, not long after Flake hung up with Mike Pence, Mitch McConnell called his phone and abruptly reversed himself. I don't usually do this, McConnell said to Flake, but... Yeah. And he went on to give Flake what he wanted. He committed to bring DACA to the Senate floor in January um, for a vote. Well, the bluff worked. Like so? Even if McConnell saw through it to begin with, he decided he had to be sure of him. Flake got his DACA vote promise. And, and, uh, and it happened, she, she Flake learned, because of what happened with Susan she, Collins.
2: She she called me while I was on the phone with Mitch.
1: Flake was on the phone with Mitch McConnell when Susan yeah. Collins beeped in. He put Mitch on hold, and, uh, clicked well, over, I, I, said I, I, hi to I, Susan, told her to hang on a second.
2: I just put her on hold while I finished the call with Mitch.
1: He clicked back over to McConnell. He wanted to make sure he got his commitment. He got it. Then he hung up with McConnell and got back on with Collins. And
2: that learned that the deal with her had gone south.
1: She was calling Fleek to let him know her deal with McConnell had changed and see where he was at. Oh, okay. well, and where he was at was uh, psyched because he'd just moments ago gotten what he wanted. This is good news. I can hear Graham crowing on the other end of the phone.
2: But anyway, we got the commitment. For, uh, by the end of January, they're going to bring up our bill. We just got to finish. We just got to finish it.
1: That made my night, Graham yells. Okay. They hang up. And then almost immediately, his phone rings again. It's Vice President Mike Pence. Flake tells me to stop recording. Okay. I later pieced together how this all went down and learned just how convoluted the backstage maneuvering was that night that finally got Jeff Flake what he wanted. Leverage wasn't enough. He also got lucky. Mike Pence seems to be the reason that Susan Collins' deal and Flake's deal both changed at the last minute. And their deals changed because of another issue I didn't see coming. Abortion. Susan Collins wanted that Obamacare fix. At the 11th hour, these anti-abortion activists met up with Mike Pence because they heard about Susan Collins' Obamacare fix. They thought it would result in federal dollars going towards abortions. They did not like that. Mike Pence is passionately, vigorously against abortion. That is his big issue. Pence then met with Collins. As best I can tell, this meeting changed things for Collins' deal, and she was unhappy about it. And in fact, the provisions she wanted did get kicked down the road. After all that, McConnell's office wanted to be absolutely certain of every Republican vote because they'd been burned by a defection just three weeks before. So McConnell made a game-time decision to call Flake and give him what he wanted with DACA.
2: The sergeant-at-arms will restore order in the gallery.
1: And later that night, when the tax bill comes to the floor...
3: Senators voting in the affirmative. Alexander, Barrasso, Blunt.
1: Collins votes for it.
3: Collins, Corker,
1: She votes for it, even though she apparently got shivved at the last second.
3: Danes, Enzi, Ernst. Fisher, Flake, Gardner, Graham, Grassley, Hatch, Heller, Hoeven, Inho, Isaacson,
1: Johnson. Act two, Flake second at bat, now with the president. It's weird to be inside a senator's office, listening to him gossip with other lawmakers like a kid on the phone, and then see that gossip become news, and then government business. A commitment on a cell phone between two guys seeps out through the halls of the Capitol and onto cable TV.
0: The lawmakers are negotiating a bill impacting undocumented immigrants. Immigration, specifically DACA.
2: Really, DACA is at the center of everything. Keep in mind, Senator Jeff Flake is expecting a DACA bill signed in the new year.
1: McConnell gives a press conference on December 22nd, a few days after the tax bill passes.
3: We have a commitment on a bipartisan basis to address the DACA issue. And there's a working group, and I've said to them if they can come up with an agreement that the administration is comfortable with, we'll devote floor time to that in January as well. Pay attention to that phrase. An agreement that the administration is comfortable with. Sounds
1: as monotonous as the rest, totally standard. Just keep it in mind, because that is not the deal Flake thinks he got. Anyway, now that Flake has dealt with McConnell, he has to get the White House on board. Up till now, it's been relatively normal political horse training. Now all that's going to change. It's not an easy thing for Flake to do, to ask Trump to work with him. Trump and Flake do not get along, in a very loud and public way. Like recently, Trump went to Arizona and trash-talked both Republican senators. First John McCain, and then...
0: And nobody wants me to talk about your other senator, who's weak on borders, weak on crime, so I won't talk about him. Nobody wants me to talk about him. Nobody knows who the hell he is.
1: Here's a question. Have you talked to the president? Has he called you or anything?
2: Um, I, I was at the White House on the NAFTA issue. I saw
1: you on TV <laughs> ne- sitting next to him.
2: That, that, the, that hostage-looking photo, I guess. <laughs> you <laughs> didn't <recording>.
1: look relaxed. <laughs> In this photo, his lips are pressed together. He looks like he's sitting as far apart from the president as he can get. One of the NAFTA renegotiation meetings. Blake's a NAFTA fan. Trump calls it the worst trade deal ever made.
2: As soon as I walked in that room, I thought, I'm going to be next to him, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but he did pull me aside and said uh, that he had spoken to uh, Mike Pence and others and that uh, you know he expressed again his desire to move ahead on DACA and said, we're going to get this done.
1: This conversation weeks ago remains a North Star for Flake. The president said we're going to get this done, so we're going to get it done. He believes that. He understands that what the White House wants for DACA is the wall. And for a while, the main question is, what's a wall? How expensive? How many miles? In December, the White House finally gets specific. It's going to be $2 billion worth of wall this next year, along with other border security stuff. Flake is like, great, we're moving forward. And then just after the new year... The loop to loop begins. The White House is like surprise and drops this list on them. It's like the hardest of hardline immigration policy dream wish list.
2: The White House threw the kitchen sink in, <laughs> just all of it. Let's do asylum policy, sanctuary cities. Um, let's do everything. Um, let's fund the wall. You know the, the whole thing. Uh, let's
1: put that in there. This is not what Flake thought this bill was going to be. Honestly, it surprised me, too, given what the White House had been saying. It was an abrupt right turn. To get any deal in the Senate, Flake knows it'll need Democrats and Republicans both. And now the Democrats are mad.
0: Democrats are slamming the administration's plan for a border wall, including Senator Dick
1: Durbin, who said... Dick Durbin's like, you're piling all these draconian immigration enforcement measures on the backs of dreamers. That's not what we've been negotiating. Trump's like, maybe the government needs a good shutdown if you're so mad. The Democrats are like... Yeah, maybe it does. That brings us to January 9th, a big meeting between the White House and lawmakers. It's the first with Democrats, so it's a big deal, supposed to get everyone on the same page, smooth out all the misunderstandings so they can make this happen. But as is routine for this White House, there are some distractions. As you may remember, the Michael Wolff book. Fire and Fury, has just come out.
3: Richard, isn't it
1: remarkable that we're talking about the president's mental state? People are openly questioning the president's sanity on every TV in the Capitol.
0: Uh, this is not a mentally stable behavior. 100% of the people closest to the president believe that there is something wrong here.
1: There's also news of potential military strikes against North Korea this morning. America, Reporters catch flake in the Dirksen Hallway. There.
0: Thank you. Senator. Senator Flake, on
1: a separate foreign policy note,
0: there's a report today that the administration is considering what they're calling um nose. What is a it? Bloody nose strategy in North Korea where they would
1: strategically strike several sites.
2: I, have you seen those reports? No, do you have I have not, I've not. I'd okay. have to look at it first.
3: All right. Hi, Senator Flake. I'm Raina, I'm a dreamer.
2: That
1: voice that's a woman who comes up to Flake, a DACA recipient named Raina. This is starting to happen a lot. Everywhere we go in the Capitol, we run into DACA kids. Sometimes it's in big groups, in matching orange shirts and orange beanies, yelling, Dream Act Now! Raina came here with a small group. She drove 48 hours from Arizona. And she's different from other dreamers I meet at the Capitol. She's more like a Politico reporter than an advocate. She knows there's a bipartisan bill in the works. She knows that Flake is working on it. She knows there's a meeting today at the White House. She says, we're just kind of worried to see if you would see something happening in terms of the deal coming closer.
3: We're just really kind of worried to see if if you would see something happening
2: Um,
1: in terms
3: of the deal coming
2: closer. We're going to the White House right now for a bipartisan meeting. It involves 20 something
1: people. people. A bipartisan meeting with 27 people. Reyna and Flake worry together that's too many.
2: Too many. It's not going to be that much negotiation. But we're, all I can say is, Doing all we can.
0: Well, thank you so we'll much for for your leadership, and we just want to be able to be helpful. Okay. On-
2: all right. Hello, thank you. Nice, to meet you. nice to meet you. All right.
1: When Reina talks to senators, she talks strategy. She doesn't tell her story. To be honest, that's the way to talk to Flake. I think he can seem a little cold when it comes to constituents. I rarely hear him talk about what dreamers want. He talks about what Schumer wants and what McConnell doesn't. Reina and the other dreamers are in the weirdest legislative cul-de-sac imaginable. Their issue is immensely popular, which you'd think would be an asset, but in fact it's a curse. Reina comes to learn that Flake's seen it already over as many years negotiating immigration
2: deals. We've always had the, the Dream Act or DACA solution before it was called DACA, that we realized that we could have taken to the floor in either the House and the Senate and passed, relatively easily because there's so much public support out there, but it was always put as part of the broader uh, package because we needed the other things as well.
1: Because the Dreamers are so popular, they're often used as a spoonful of sugar to make tougher immigration measures easier to swallow. Stuff like border security, restricting visas, or on the Democrat side, legalizing even more immigrants. That's the curse of DACA. The most valuable thing about it, on Capitol Hill anyway, is the possibility that it could be used to pass other stuff. So even though we're a democracy, even though 80% of the country wants DACA, the country doesn't get what it wants. Because there's no incentive for Congress to just put it to a straight up or down vote. And everybody here takes this for granted. So when President Trump canceled DACA in September, DACA became this sort of brass ring again, everyone grabbing at dreamers for their own agendas. That's why Flake thinks nothing will happen in this White House meeting. Too many people, too many agendas.
2: There are people there today who I'm convinced don't want a deal at all. And um, so, anyway, that's what my concern is. Okay.
1: All right. I'll see you when you get back. I wasn't allowed into the White House meeting, so I was expecting to just get Flake to tell me later. That proved to be unnecessary.
0: I'm thrilled to... Be with a distinguished group of Republican and Democratic lawmakers from both the House and the Senate. We have something in common. We'd like to see this get done. It's DACA. We've been talking about DACA for a long time. There are
1: TVs all over the Senate building tuned to CNN. Chandler, Flake's chief of staff and I, are getting coffee and notice the cameras aren't leaving the room. All of Washington ends up watching almost the whole meeting on cable TV. This is a pretty infamous meeting, talked about a lot since. It's one of the starkest moments of reality TV of the Trump presidency. The part at the beginning where everyone's getting along. The president calls a potential deal a bill of love.
0: Truly, it should be a bill of love. His
1: agenda seems to be, prove to everyone he's not crazy. Prove his own tweet that he's a very stable genius. Maybe because of that, he says yes to things he's never wanted before or since. At one point, Senator Feinstein offers a straight-up DACA bill. No wall attached. Would
0: you be agreeable to that? Yeah, I would like, I would like President, to. Do. I think a lot of people would like to see that. Wait. But wait. I think we have to do that. Mr. President, wait, wait,
3: wait. Kevin
1: McCarthy, House Republican, is like, no, dude, no. Trump moves on to another guy. Jeff? Jeff. I crane my head at the TV to see Flake at the end of the table.
2: For those of us who have been through comprehensive reform, that was... Six, seven months of every night negotiating. He says,
1: uh, doing all the stuff that you're listing that you want, Mr. President, by March 5th, that's too hard. That's why we make it a phase two.
0: We do a phase one, which is DACA and security. And we do phase two, which is comprehensive immigration. And I think we should go right to it. I really do. We do one and we then do the other. But we go right to it. Yes.
1: Flake got him to say just what he wanted. Phase one and phase two. DACA and wall first, maybe one or two other things. The bigger, more major changes the White House wants, they'll come later on a separate bill, phase two. After demanding the kitchen sink just a short while ago, Trump's now throwing the kitchen sink out. Everyone in Washington knows that phase two will never happen. Well, Trump doesn't, but Congress knows that Congress cannot pass a comprehensive immigration reform bill. But whatever, this will work. It's whiplash, but whiplash that Flake thinks breaks his way. I'm not able to meet up with him right after the meeting because he's busy giving TV interviews. When we finally catch up in the Capitol building that afternoon, he's in a completely different mood. The news cycle's mood has shifted too, from alarm over the president's mental state to thrilling over Trump the dealmaker. The president's act like a sane person strategy seems to be working.
2: Have we talked since the meeting or not?
1: Nope. No, that was all the other Dr. reporters. You're sorry, you weren't <laughs> there. You weren't
2: there. Where you I been? I couldn't
1: get to the White House, man. <laughs> Luckily, the whole meeting was
2: recorded, oh, so. Oh, man. What would you make of it? You know, frankly, you know, I had pretty low expectations going into it, but there were some useful things that came out of it. It was, uh, yeah, he expressed more flexibility than than some in the room were comfortable with, I think. Um, and then when the cameras left, uh, you know, he, he kept referring to phase one and phase two, and that's what we've been wanting. Um,
1: when I heard that, I thought that was the thing that you've been asking for.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, we talked during the, the private meeting. That's what I kept trying to come back to. Thank you for recognizing that, uh, that, you know, this, we can't do it all, you know, in the next month. That we've got to stick to certain items and then we can come back to the other things. And, Flake's and,
1: and, doing a thing here that I saw a few times. He's such an accentuate the positive kind of guy. It's almost like he only heard the parts he wanted to hear. At the meeting, Trump also talked about not letting in killers and ending chain migration, that that was urgent. But Flake's focused on this one point. He, did
2: say, he made it clear a number of times that uh, he's not going to be doctrinaire on this uh, um, or intransigent, that he will sign whatever gets to him that he trusts us, put something together, um, and then he'll signed, uh, sign it. So, I mean, you sound kind of
1: excited,
2: right. you know? You, you seem yeah, like... Yeah, a little, little, little better.
1: During my months with Jeff Flake, one thing I didn't understand for a long time was his ability to stay optimistic after years of disappointment over this issue. It was confounding. I know that part of his optimism is political strategy, He's using that attitude with reporters, with the administration, with his colleagues. But he came to realize at the same time, this is his nature. He can't be different. A few months ago, I asked him about the Book of Mormon. I saw it on his desk. I saw him reading from it on his phone and listening to the audiobook through wireless headphones. He's devout, doesn't drink coffee, goes to church every Sunday, doesn't drink or swear. And he told me one of his favorite parts of the Book of Mormon is in the last several passages of Alma, which tells the story of people who Mormons believe lived in the Americas long before Columbus arrived. There's a character called Moroni, a military captain.
2: And he grew pretty angry at uh, the government at that time, led by a guy named Pahoran, who was a good guy. But Moroni, who was also a really good guy, assumed that uh, the government was holding out, not giving them their war supplies and whatever else.
1: He writes a threatening letter to Pahoran, saying, why are you ignoring me? Long story short, it's a misunderstanding. Pahoran was under siege by the enemy and just couldn't help Moroni, though Moroni had no way of knowing that. Finally, Pahoran got a chance to tell him. He didn't get mad at Moroni or anything.
2: He said, no, you're a good man and uh, you just don't have all the information. They were both fine after that. Then all they reconciled, Something like that tells you to bridle your passions, <laughs> not uh, not assume the worst. Assume the best, look for the good. Things usually work out.
1: Assume the best, look for the good. It's his motto. He talks about it a lot. It was written out on an index card on his parents' fridge growing up. He says you'll find it in every one of his 10 brothers' and sisters' houses, too. It's his attitude towards everyone. Even Trump, who Fleet can't stand... Throughout this whole negotiation, Fleek continues to say Trump wants a DACA deal. He has better instincts on this than his advisors, he says. It's the Moroni in him. When I come in the next morning, January 10th, I find out Fleek's been up most of the night. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Where you been? Since the president has said he'll sign whatever he gets, different factions of lawmakers start writing their own bills with their own priorities. It's a race to get a bill to the president and prejudice him in favor of the first one he sees.
2: You missed a good doc, a meeting last night. I did? What well, happened? Yeah, it was just called kind of on the fly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But we met, uh, the six of us, that's what the group has become.
1: The gang of six, all immigration bill veterans, half Democrats, half Republicans. Fleek's staff spends the day finishing the draft of the bill. Fleek's feeling good about it, really good. <laughs> yes. At one point, a bunch of students come by.
2: so what do you want your legacy to be Get DACA done. That's it. That's for benefit right here. Yeah, no, appreciate I appreciate it. To, he's
1: a little tired of me asking about his legacy all the time, so I did appreciate it. By that night, in his office, he's dreaming big. He's imagining the president selling the deal at the State of the Union in two and a half weeks.
2: And for the State of the Union address coming up at the end of the month, uh, the president it sure would be nice to for him to stand up and say, we've got this bipartisan deal done. I'm sure the president wants to do that. I would if I were him. And so, I mean, the president's only going to endorse a bipartisan deal. Um, we just hope he'll get behind this one and we can move it through quickly. I mean, you think the president
1: will only endorse a bipartisan deal. It's hard to yeah. know what he's going to do, right?
2: Um, I I do think that he's, he's there. Okay, so you guys,
1: you have your deal. Is it written down on a piece of paper?
2: We have... Uh, I have three three sheets that uh I can okay Great. I have three sheets here which uh you know talk about what we've agreed to just then Senator Bob
1: Corker shows up like it's the attack the president and quit the Senate club meeting hey, yeah. Senator hey. Chief of Staff Chandler basically hooks my collar and literally throws yeah. me out of the room Whoa, what you out of there. Why? Because Corbin was like, why don't you stay? I was That's like, yeah, I have something. That's go. not what happened. Rude. I sit next to the coat rack behind a scheduler and wait. I'm holding the immigration deal outline in my hand. For one sweet Washington moment, I am the only reporter who has it, I think. I fight the urge to tweet it out. It's an urge I never thought I'd have, but being down here, it becomes a thing. I read the bill and realize there's so much in here for each side to hate. DACA kids get citizenship, but only after 12 years. They aren't allowed to sponsor their parents for citizenship, but the parents do get work permits. Republicans get an end to the visa lottery program, and Democrats keep those visas for other immigrants. And there's money for the wall. In other words, it's a compromise. It Corker leaves I'm back in. Flakes leaned up. way back in his chair, his feet up on the desk, on the phone with Dick Durbin. They're cracking each other up. Okay. <laughs> For this one moment, it really seems like this is going to work. Like Washington is going to work. They're going to do something. (laughs) Oh, that's great. At the end of the night, we get on the Senate subway back to the Capitol building.
2: Let me put it this way.
1: You've been through this before. So what's going to blow this up?
2: What's going to blow this up? Mm -hmm. Um, If the president... uh, if the president hears from the base, some people get into the White House and see him and say, you can't do this.
0: Which
1: is exactly what happened.
0: Zoe Chase. Coming up, Flake's prophecy fulfilled, plus a trip to the South Pacific. That's in a minute. Chicago Public Radio, when our program continues. This American Life, Myra Glass. Today on our program, if you're just tuning in, we're following Senator Jeff Flake as he tries to do the most basic part of his job, and that is pass a law. That's what we pay those guys for. They seem to do it so rarely these days. At the end of the first half of the show, we left Senator Flake in a happy, optimistic mood. He had an outline to a bipartisan DACA deal in hand. It addressed four issues the White House had laid out a few days before. The president seemed open. It said he'd sign anything. The plan going forward was this. Lindsey Graham, who'd been playing a lot of golf with the president lately and talking about what good friends they are, would sell the deal to the president, and they would get the president to sell the deal to the American people, which means at this point, none of the senators are supposed to talk about the deal publicly, not yet, because they want Donald Trump to own this deal and sell it. That's the only way the House of Representatives and the Republican base is going to go for the deal. And this brings us to Act 3, Flake's next at bat. When the cat's away, the mouse, he can run around. Again, here's Zoe Chase.
1: I wake up the next morning to mass confusion. Somehow or other, the strategy has gone off the rails. I'm on the House side doing another interview, but it's easy to track Flake. He seems to be going from reporter to reporter saying they have a deal. I'm reading this on Twitter. Eventually, he shows up on TV. Uh, The fact that there is a deal came from Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona.
2: An agreement that we're the bipartisan group, I'm talking about, the Mm -hmm. six of us working, that we're shopping among our colleagues now.
1: This was not the plan. Flake knows his name on the deal could kill the deal for the president. He often flies to Arizona as soon as he can on Thursdays. He's incredibly close with his wife, Cheryl, the youngest of his five kids is a senior in high school. I'm basically running with him to get to the airport. So you're running around the Capitol saying you've got a deal? Yeah. Why are you doing that? As we rush out to the car, waiting to take him to the airport, Flake's press officer runs after us, pulls him back, and literally whispers into his ear. It's weird. I've never seen them do that before. We get in the car. I don't know if it's vanity or strategy that's making Flake Talk out of school. Drive slow.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: what were you doing today? <laughs> oh, man. Why did you do that? <laughs> what did I do what? Why did you tell everyone you had a deal?
2: Because we have an agreement. We do. We do. The, the, uh, the six of us amongst, between us. We had the agreement.
1: I know. I just thought that you were going to wait for the president to talk about it before <laughs> you
2: talked about it. All I said is, uh, we pretty much have an agreement when I was asked about it. That, that's not that's not going rogue, I wouldn't think. I've gone rogue. This wasn't rogue. Okay. It was a little vanity and a little strategy. Flake had
1: been watching Fox News the night before to get a read on how the president's base was taking the immigration developments. Badly, it turns out. After one day of praising his presidentialness and deal-making chops, they were now furious at him for selling out to Flake Jeff Flake and the Chuck Schumers of the world. Flake figured the deal might die then if it was getting brutalized on Fox, so he wanted to make the deal public to keep it alive, at least among other members of Congress. As he's explaining all this, he gets a call.
2: (laughs) Okay. But for the record, I never even said that. I never used the word. All right. Sounds good.
1: <laughs> Bye. You okay? What's happening?
2: <laughs> Nothing we can talk about on tape.
1: The whisper, this call, something weird is going on. There's something Fleek's not telling me. All right, I don't ever like to go off the record with you because I don't want to set a precedent, but I just want to know if there's anything I should be prepared for. Uh... I put the mic down. The president said something unflattering to the president, Fleek says to me. Like, the president said something that would make him look really bad if it got out. And with that, he walks over to the airport. My mind raced through what this president could possibly have said that would be that bad. And I will not share those thoughts with you. Because anyway, 139 minutes later, we all found out.
3: They all are s-hole people who live in s-hole places.
0: S-hole. s countries. All countries in Africa are s-holes.
1: Why do we want these people from, quote, all these s countries here? There was no coming back from that. The deal was dead. Flake didn't mess it up by blabbing about it. In fact, it went down exactly like Flake predicted the night before.
2: Some people get into the White House and see him and say, you can't do this.
1: We even know exactly when it must have happened, between 10 and noon that morning. Because at 10, when Dick Durbin called the president, Donald Trump seemed psyched to hear from him. He wanted to hear what they came up with. So Durbin and Lindsey Graham went over to the White House. There's been a ton of good reporting on this, so you may know the story. By noon, when they arrived, the president was a different guy. Graham and Durbin walk in, and there are hardliners in the room. Senators Tom Cotton and David Perdue, and from the White House, the chief of staff, the head of Homeland Security, and Stephen Miller, the anti-immigration-obsessed mastermind, the president's domestic policy advisor. The president was in a bad mood. Everyone was. Everyone was. Why do we have all these people coming from shithole countries in Africa, he said, and not from places like Norway? And now Trump hates the proposal. In the space of two days, he's gone from wanting the kitchen sink in exchange for DACA to wanting a bill of love, DACA and the wall and a few other things. Now he was back to wanting the kitchen sink. This is not how this is supposed to go. Usually, the president signals to the Congress what he wants to do. The Congress signals to the president what they might pass. When it's the same party, those priorities line up. And they march along like a three-legged race, pushing and pulling a little bit, but headed towards a common goal. Like, say, Obama and Obamacare. This is a Republican Congress. But it can't move in sync with this White House. Because looking for signals from this White House, it's like a flaming, screaming siren of noise. As demonstrated this week every new person who walks into the Oval Office can flip the president to their side, let alone what he sees on TV every morning and every night. You can't get a clear signal from someone who turns on a dime like that. So politics has turned into this game of red light, green light. When the president turns on the green light, everyone runs toward him, trying to make a deal. Then he turns on the red light. Everyone has to stop. You can't build up momentum towards anything. You can't find a compromise that'll please him. In that environment, what's a senator to do? Act four, it's our prerogative. In the weeks after shithole, I start to hear Flake using a word I find shocking, coming out of his mouth.
2: (laughs) It's just frustrating.
1: The more Flake has lived with this red light, green light thing, the more he's decided that's not what the Senate exists to do. The regular process of waiting to hear what the president wants and respond to it in normal times that might make sense. But Flake's like, this guy is nutty and changes every five minutes. And we don't have to do that. We have the power to force this president into committing to something.
2: We're an equal branch of government here, and we've been acting like we're not. I do think that if we will actually pass something here, and I believe it will be the the bipartisan bill, the one in the middle— uh, then the president will find a way to like it. He, uh, but we just can't wait and can't, you know, just give away our prerogative here. And that's what we've been doing, and it's it's just not, uh, not right.
1: Flake's vision is this. If the Senate passes something with 60 votes, especially something like DACA, it'll force the president to like it. This is what happened with the Russia sanctions bill. The president didn't want to impose sanctions, at least the way Congress was demanding, then the Senate and the House voted overwhelmingly to do it, and he signed it. Reluctantly, he signed it quote for the sake of national unity. And once the president says yes, Jeff Flake thinks even if a bill seems too liberal for the House, the House will just go along with the president because that's what they do.
2: The key is uh, what, in, in the end, what Trump Trump could call an apple an orange, and the House would buy it. I think you know we've seen that. So, it just depends on him.
1: This is not Mitch McConnell's idea of how things should work. Remember that innocent phrase he uttered back in December?
3: An agreement that the administration is comfortable with.
1: He'll only bring a bill to the floor that the White House supports. Flake said that was never part of the deal. But he says that's generally been McConnell's approach with this president. Only bring stuff to a vote that the president wants to sign. January 19th. It's been one month since McConnell's commitment to bring DACA to the floor in January. And he shows no intention of bringing up DACA. In fact, he's made it clear he will not. And the entire U.S. government is about to come to a standstill over this disagreement. The Democrats have watched Flake get burned by McConnell, and now they step forward with their own moves to try to force DACA to the floor. Chuck Schumer goes to the White House and, over cheeseburgers, tries to cut a quick last-minute deal with the president. $25 billion for the wall in exchange for DACA — a huge sum, more than the White House has ever publicly asked for. Trump rejects it. So Democrats set their sights on McConnell. They tell him to bring DACA to the floor or they'll shut the government down. They won't vote for the spending bill that comes before the Senate that night. McConnell doesn't budge. You know how this ends. The government shuts down. But watching them try to avoid it at the last minute that night was kind of wild. I watched from the Senate press gallery. All the congressional reporters were pressed together on this balcony above the Senate floor. They were telling me, this is rare. You barely ever see this. Watching them negotiate in public in front of you. You're so close, you feel like you should be able to hear them, but you can't, so you watch closely. The senators head to the floor for a vote around 10.15 that night, and they stay out there till after 1 a.m. The drama all revolves around McConnell and Schumer, who are refusing to talk to each other. These two grown men who have worked together for years, who are in charge of the Senate, sitting on opposite sides of the room, not looking at each other, with all these other grown adults running around them, just trying to get them to speak. If it were a ballet, Jeff Flake and Lindsey Graham were the principals, whirling and spinning all over the room between the Democrats and the Republicans, seemingly trying to cut a deal. All the Democrat lady senators at one point were gabbing in the corner, until Graham burst in. Rubio, Cruz, a couple of the other guys sat in a row in the back, like kids smoking cigarettes on the bleachers, too cool to engage, cracking each other up. At some point, for no obvious reason, House Republican Dana Rohrbacher wandered onto the floor and veered around, looking bedraggled. But through all this, the two people with the power to stop a shutdown, McConnell and Schumer, they barely budged from their chairs.
0: Very sadly, we are on the precipice of
1: a government shutdown. Occasionally, they got up and scolded the other one without looking his way.
3: I think our friends on the other side took some bad advice, really bad advice. I'd hate to have to be trying to explain this myself. They held all this hostage over the completely unrelated issue of illegal immigration.
1: And it ends there.
2: The
3: Senate stands adjourned
2: until 12 noon today.
1: We meet back in Flake's office at 2 a.m. His staff is lying on the floor in the dark watching movies. Flake's hair is spiked up on his head from running his hands through it for hours. See you tomorrow, Flake yells as I leave. He sleeps in his office. Oh man, the government is shut down, I say to Flake's scheduler on the way out. What a time to be alive, she says back. In the outside world, people are wondering what the shutdown means. Who's
3: going to be furloughed? What's this going to cost? Fox News alert. Uncle Sam turns out the lights. Now the blame game is in full swing as the government shuts down. Tension on Capitol Hill following the government shutdown.
0: This is utter madness.
1: Meanwhile, inside Congress, it's a really different vibe. It's like a fun sleepover. I pop in on Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, and he's hanging around in his socks, Senators are posting sunset pictures from the Capitol to Twitter. Reporters are tweeting out which Chinese place lunches from. Graham and Flake head out to get fajitas. A bipartisan group of senators comes together to end the shutdown. They meet in Susan Collins' office. For the first time in forever, it's like true bipartisan deal-making over bagels and coffee. It's exciting. Susan Collins institutes this beaded talking stick. You can't talk in their meetings unless you're holding it.
2: I got it first to talk about, you know... What I was proposing, the group accept, and then he handed it around. Lamar Alexander got it.
1: 22 and, uh, people in there, nine Republicans, 13 Democrats, everyone in a circle. Senate Alexander's talking about Senate politics. process.
2: And uh, Mark Warner, across the room, interrupted him and then interrupted him again. And uh, Lamar, <laughs> mild mannered Lamar, <laughs> takes a stick like a javelin and threw it at, <gasps> uh, <laughs> at, at Mark Warner. <gasps> Oh my and, uh, Mark God. Mark ducked, hit the wall. Um, it just, everybody, you could have heard a bit, pin drop. It was the quietest, just complete and utter shock. And, uh, anyway, so, and then the meeting went on for the rest of the time. And then today. Lamar Alexander,
1: channeling the frustration of the entire country over his own powerlessness in that moment. In the middle of the shutdown, Flake goes to the floor of the Senate and makes a speech trying to rally other senators around his cause, pitching his dream that they don't have to cater to the president. They can pass their own bill and nail the White House down that way.
2: The best way out of this is for the Senate to be the Senate again. We are an equal branch of government. And to say that we won't move on a particular topic until we have agreement from the president, when we've waited for weeks and weeks and weeks or that kind of agreement, or that kind of nod or signal. We can't wait anymore. Let's more jealously guard our prerogative here as legislators. And let's bring an immigration bill to the floor. No one seems to be signing up.
1: That's Flake's issue in general. He seems to talk to an invisible group of Republicans that no one else can see. Republicans who agree with him. As you know, the shutdown ends. The final deal is this, three more weeks of government funding and an agreed-upon time for a DACA deal to come to the floor. That's like exactly where they were a month ago. McConnell took it away. McConnell gave it back. As you also know, DACA has not passed. There is no DACA deal. The one Fleek supported the bipartisan talking stick deal, the Trump administration issued an apocalyptic statement tearing it to shreds. None of the proposals got enough votes to pass. It's widely acknowledged they'll pass no more bills this year, no more major ones, at least. Jeff Flake failed. For the last few years, Jeff Flake has done this weird, very non political thing. He goes to a remote Pacific island and lives there for a week to see if he can survive on his own. He grew up obsessed with survival stories, his favorite guilty pleasure, he says. Shackleton, Robinson Crusoe, anyone who was basically in a sailboat, capsized, ended up on a life raft, and got to an island. He wanted to know, if I were marooned on an island, could I survive? He first tried it back in 2009. He went somewhere near the Marshall Islands for a week, lived on spearfishing and coconuts. He got lonely, so he wrote numbers with a sharpie on the hermit crab shells so he could keep track of them see which ones were friendly. He liked it so much, he went to another island a few years later with two of his kids. And then the next year, with a Democratic senator, to make a point about bipartisanship. The Discovery Channel filmed it, called it Rival Survival.
2: A barrel full of life-saving water lies nearby. But unless they can build a fire and purify the contaminated water, they're at risk of acute dehydration. He's a proud Democrat, I'm a proud Republican, but I'd Gladly vote for any of Martin's bills if he could just start a fire.
0: Come on, come on, come on. Flame, flame, come on.
1: Fleek and Heinrich never make a fire on the island. Stop. They could have just brought matches with them. But they were caught in a reality TV show game where the rules were arbitrary and rigged against doing the obvious, simple thing. You see where I'm going with this. It takes a very particular kind of person to put up with rules like that and maintain a go getem can-do attitude and come back again and again. And Jeff Flake is still at it. Last I saw him, he was bringing a new DACA proposal to the floor. He says he's going to keep bringing it up until it passes. Do you think other senators think it's silly that you're out there still
2: talking about DACA? Some of them, yeah, probably. Move on, Flake. Yeah. No. Still got time. Still got to do it. I'm excited. This is going to do it. This speech is going to change minds.
1: (laughs) I can't tell if you think that or not. Like, I really don't know.
2: Say that it's working. (laughs) No, I mean, what choice do you have? You move ahead.
1: Maybe he's acting, strategically playing the part of the optimist, pretending things will turn around next week. Maybe he has faith that things will truly turn around next week. After all this time, I still find it hard to tell. There's a little Don Quixote in him for sure, but there's also a long game that he's playing, and I'm on to it now. He's trying to force his view of governance into being by constantly acting as if things are different from this political reality. That how it is now doesn't have to be the way it
0: always is. Sorry, Chase is one of the producers of our program.
2: I'm getting pretty tired of the state things are in.
1: Sometimes I feel like cutting a vein just watching bleed. I'm tired of laying it down getting nothing on the other end. And people only want to be your friend when you got something they need.
0: Our program is produced today by Ben Calhoun and our senior producer, Brian Reed. Our staff includes Zoe Chase, Sean Cole, Whitney Dangerfield, Stephanie Fu, Hana Joffrey-Walt, David Kestenbaum, Seth Lind, Alvin Mellet, Nadia Raymond, Lily Sullivan, Christopher Switala, Matt Tierney, Julie Whitaker, and Diane Wu. Our managing editor is Susan Burton. Special thanks today to Adam Cancren, Susan Davis, Dan Diamond, Matt Fuller, Lindsay Gaza, Barry Hardeman, Elizabeth Jones, Ben Kessling, Steve Lichtig, Claire Malone, Ben Martyr, Sun Min Kim, Alice Olstein, Chad Program, Douglas Rivlin, Jason Samuels, Megan Shepard, Frank Thorpe V, Chip Underhill, and Erica Warner. Our website, ThisAmericanLife.org. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. Thanks as always to our program's co founder, Mr. Troy Malatia. You know, I caught him two timing me with another radio host, Kai Rizdahl, the host of Marketplace. I finally confronted Troy about it, and he said, No, 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 they're just good friends. He and I are close. We, we talk about uh,
2: tax cuts.
0: I'm Arrow Glass, back next week with more stories of this American life.